Welcome to the Amphibian Press Podcast. I'm V.S. Holmes, and with me today is Angela Breen, a romantic suspense author. And her first book, What's in a Name, is out now, and I'll give you the blurb. After a teen pregnancy and divorcing her abusive husband, Rachel Montgomery's life is finally coming together. With a new management position, she can support her four children on her own and move out of her aunt's place. The sudden promotion comes with a catch. Someone is using her new beeper to torture her with sick messages all hours of the day and night. Terrified to tell anyone about the beeper calls, Rachel suffers in silence. She could lose her job, and who would believe her anyways? Frank Tench arrives in town as Rachel's life explodes. As supervisory special agent of the BAU, he's teaching the local cops about FBI methodology. His plan to use the outreach program to hide from the drama of his own divorce backfires when he meets Rachel. Fiery as she is fascinating, thoughts of Rachel haunt him. But when he's asked to look into her best friend's disappearance, he has to choose between his career and Rachel's safety. The moment Frank and Rachel get intimate, however, is a rude awakening, complete with its own graphic beeper message. Not only is she the killer's next target, but he knows everything about her, where she lives, where she works, and where her children play. And now he's pissed. Buy What's in a Name now to find out who makes it out alive. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So give me a little background about What's in a Name and uh, the rest of the series, which is coming out starting at the end of this year, right? I'm really hopeful to have three books out by the end of the year, including What's in a Name. Those are some um, big goals. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, go big or go home, right? right. Um, <laughs> if I get two out, I will be happy. If I get three out, I will be ecstatic. Um, but anyway... Uh, the series is the Department of Second Chances, which kind of came about uh, by accident. I had this other Second Chances thing I was working on, and then um, I've always been kind of fascinated with the FBI and serial killers, so it all just kind of fell into place. Um, the inspiration for What's in a Name was actually a true uh, event, which happened to, oh my gosh, Sarah... Pisan was her name. Mm -hmm. um, and she lived in Las Vegas. And this took place, I think, in the 70s. Um, so it was a while ago. And it, mm -hmm. what's in the name takes place in the 90s, just because um, of where I wanted the BAU to be at the time. I was wondering um, about the, the beeper. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't we have I, cell phones? <laughs> I made it like a whole thing, because uh, even in 92, they had switched over to mostly message beeping, but I made it so that the um, owner of the gas station was blind. Okay. So everybody used voice beepers instead um, because I wanted that aspect. Cause it's not the same if you're listening to a voicemail versus having something just display this message, like as it's happening, it's mm -hmm. different. It's a different vibe. And I wanted it to be super creepy and kind of disturbing. Um, yeah. And I feel like answering machine messages would be creepy, but it's so easy to just turn it off and it's there like forever. And I don't think beeper messages are, I don't know. I didn't actually look into that. I meant to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there might be some database or something, but I don't think you can access it easily. Yeah. I know there, there were databases for like uh, text messages or mm -hmm. something because they had those in one of the 9-11 documentaries that I watched, but um, different different thing that was also later than what's in a name mm -hmm. takes place but um anyway <laughs> yeah that's where the beeper thing happened um but yeah she was stalked by the serial killer Stephen Morin 
um, who would travel around the United States um, using death certificates. And he actually tried to steal one of his girlfriend's son's birth certificates. Um, well, she, she was going to give it to him. So grosser. Um, uh, like, like knowing? Yeah, he intercepted it. Like, I don't uh, know if she knew that he was using them to kill people, but she <laughs> knew that he was going to steal her son's identity. So, you know. Yeah, that's still not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he happened to intercept it and, and you know, saved his identity, which was awesome. Um, so it was an episode of Dark, I think it's called Dark Obsession on Investigation Discovery. Um, and it's just her story. She also has a book um, out and it's available. I know it's on Amazon. It's probably on other places too. And there's some controversy over whether or not she made the whole thing up. There's pieces of it that seem a little odd, but because of when it took place, it, it might make sense. Um, I also like trauma I, brain. Like, yeah. And I wasn't you know. alive in the seventies. So like her story was basically that she was um, being stalked by this guy. It was, he was like a nice guy and he just kind of wanted to date her, but she wasn't in a place to date. Um, and wasn't really, she wasn't really interested, but then, you know, she kind of said yes. And then at the last second had this like really bad gut feeling and said no. And, um, mm-hmm. and then he like went nuts and, tried to like get into the gas station where she worked and like get her and he didn't obviously, but then the FBI gets involved and they basically tell her that this serial killer is stalking her and she needs to like run away. And I don't know how accurate that is, but maybe for the seventies, that was protocol. I don't know. Maybe that's all they could do. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, nowadays they're not terribly helpful with certain aspects of those types of cases anyways. So I can't imagine back when they had fewer resources, Right. I just, I don't know. Cause they do have, you know, I don't know when witness protection started. And I know that's a different branch, but they, mm-hmm. they didn't, it wasn't like, there was no, we're going to put a protective detail on you and catch him. There was no, right. um, there was, it was just go run away. You're doomed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if somebody like they also, I don't know what they knew about stalking at the time. Um, but like a stalker doesn't generally give up. Right. Um, and what sort happened <laughs> yeah. and, and what happened was he left Las Vegas after she did and was caught in Texas like 10 miles or something from where she moved to. Oof. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. But anyway, there's some chatter that she made it up, but I don't know either way. Either way, it was fascinating and I got a book out of it. So I'm glad <laughs> she told her story. What other... Um aspects were you hoping to sort of weave in because like you said that 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 was the inspiration but there are a lot of really interesting details um and I remember you talking about researching them what other things were you really keen on weaving into this story in particular um so I was really trying to weave in um the mindset of someone who's been in an abusive relationship that I set out from the beginning Mm -hmm. um because it, it was kind of in Sarah's story but she she, you know, she got pregnant at, I think, 15 and got married. And it was never really discussed that getting married at 15 is like, not the best decision, even if you're pregnant. Um, right. Yeah, your your brain is still very underdeveloped, even if yeah. you're mature. Yeah. So um, I kind of wanted to explore that a little bit with what kind of led to it, what was the outcome and how she got away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously she's attacked by the serial killer stalked by him and, and she has to go back. And I wanted, um, to kind of put that stuff in there. And I, 
that I set out from the beginning to explore and, and weave into the story. But one thing that ended up in there that it was kind of an accident was um, at the beginning of all these kinds of books, you have some kind of a case that shows the FBI's um, abilities. And so I needed, mm-hmm. as soon as Frank Tench got there, to have some kind of a crime that he solves. Um, and that ended up being a family annihilator case, mm-hmm. which is there's still not enough data on family annihilators. Like uh, I found one British study and that was it. <laughs> um, so basically I had to just look at all of the cases myself and kind of come to conclusions about them and um, create the the scene and the character who committed this crime that way. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't know, a family annihilator is someone is usually a man who kills his entire family. Um, the women cases that are similar are when women kill all their kids but I've never seen one where the woman kills her kids and her husband. And that doesn't mean it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. I just didn't find one. Um, And I didn't, I was this, in this case, it was a man. So I also really wasn't looking. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of, I had to narrow down. I'm a crime buff, so I can get lost (laughs) in these wormholes and the book would never get written. So I have to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine the the, the dreams you have after doing all this research. Yeah, it's not pretty. <laughs> and especially because I do it all late at night after the kids go to bed. So, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I ended up exploring that as well, kind of by accident. And, um, and with the abuse, I also had, um, so I have Rachel, whose husband is abusive and her father was abusive to her mother, but never to her. Mm-hmm. And then I have Frank Tench, who's, um, I don't remember if I ended up making it his father or his mother's boyfriend, but he had an abusive father figure, um, mm-hmm. who actually murdered his mother. Okay. So yeah, I kind of, the abuse was there from the beginning. I meant to weave that in and that's in part because, um, my husband's family is very dysfunctional and abusive mm-hmm. and I, I feel like people don't really understand. They're always, why don't you leave? Which I feel that way too. Looking at some of these situations is like, just leave. Um, But when you watch the family dynamic, it's not that simple. And there's manipulation. There's a lot of nuance to that type of relationship Mm -hmm. and what goes into it. Also, how much is internalized? Because it's, you know, if if you don't feel like you're supposed to leave or you deserve to leave, you're not going to. Yeah. And... And something that I think people don't understand is how, um, like, kind and helpful and understanding an abusive person can be. Mm-hmm. Like, in movies, they're always depicted as these people with hair triggers who are constantly berating you, but that's not the case. Right. Half the time, they are looking out for you, holding the door open, making you dinner, cleaning up the kitchen. Um, helping out with the kids and are great with the kids sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's this person that you love and it's just this one piece that you can't understand or, um, or get away from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. um, Not only for, for people in an abusive relationship to still see that it is abusive, but for people who are on the outside trying to help them because it can be very frustrating to sit here and watch this and be like, why won't you leave? But it's so much more complicated. So I really wanted that. And I, I was trying to put all in all the different aspects. Um, 
I didn't include anything about child abuse or he, um, Richard does get a little, that's uh, Rachel's ex is Richard. Mm -hmm. And he does get a little um, creepy with like using the girls to control her, mm -hmm. but um, he would never physically harm them. Right. And yeah, they did and that kind of on purpose. There's so many different ways too that it, it, it manifests. Like you were saying, sometimes people would, would never raise a hand to their children, but you know, they're, their spouses fair game and you know the the way that growing up seeing that or experiencing it as an adult you know that it affects you very differently so I, I think it's neat that you sort of dove into the psychology behind it and how it can make you seem like an easier target when you know a hardened criminal or a serial killer or something is is coming for you yeah she literally had to choose between a serial killer and her abusive X. That's a choice. <laughs> right? She tries really hard not to make it. Um, but, <laughs> you know, in the end, she ends up back in Texas. And um, this takes place in Gainesville, Florida, by the way. Okay. Um, and she goes back to Pasadena uh, to try to make a stand and keep her kids safe. And, um, you know, the FBI messes up, the police and the FBI mess up. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, that was another thing that I, I really enjoyed researching was how the FBI actually interacts with police departments. Because mm -hmm. um, if you watch shows like Criminal Minds, you think they go in and they take over and they get the bad guy, <laughs> but that's not at all accurate. Um, they will go in and they'll deliver their profile, but that's all they, they do. They, they rarely are part of um, any kind of arrest or anything. So... Um, that was kind of a, a fun thing to see. And that's part of like, obviously Frank does get involved um, mm -hmm. because he cares about Rachel. So it was one of the ways that he kind of steps that he risks his job. And we have that kind of progressive complication happening. Mm -hmm. So obviously these, these are part of a series um, and without, without too many spoilers, can the stories be read um, like standalone or is there a pretty strong theme connecting them? Uh, yeah, these are more standalone. Frank is in the first five, probably mm -hmm. more, but I have the first five kind of planned out. Um, and he is kind of the connecting factor. And we see, uh, we get his romantic life in this first one, and then he's kind of a mentor figure in later ones. Okay. Um, but you can read them in any order. It's not, um, oh, and he's also in the reader magnet that I'm working on. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. this might be kind of a, a tough question here. Obviously, you you just launched this book, and the current political climate has a lot to say about um, cops and judiciary figures uh, in in the U.S. How are you handling that in in your work going forward? Because I know a lot of these types of books they kind of um, deify these authority figures um and obviously some some are fine but in a lot of cases there's there's some power abuse going on so is that something that you're hoping to address or or have addressed at all i'm glad you asked that i actually happened to address it in not in the way that i probably would have um knowing that this was coming but right. um i i like to have in all of my stories i like to show that there are good people and there are bad people kind of everywhere. 
Um, so in the gas station that Rachel works in, there's a guy who's kind of a misogynistic jerk. And then there's a guy who's like, you know, constantly telling him to cool his jets. In the, in the police station, I made a point to have um, some officers who were there for the right reasons and some who were there for the pension um, mm-hmm. because that's just reality. Um, and I wish that they had better ways to vet who became a police officer and better training and better, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but the fact is definitely in the nineties, they did not. So right. that's, that's true. It is, it is set in a specific time period. So I guess, you know, you can sort of shine a light on it in a different way than you would be if it was a modern, a modern story. Yes. Um, so yeah, I have one police officer in particular who Rachel went to. Um, we only hear about this in, in passing. Um, mm-hmm. But she went to when she moved to Gainesville to say, look, I have this ex. He was incredibly abusive and I kind of escaped. I'm just kind of giving you a heads up in case he shows up. Mm-hmm. And the guy basically brushes her off and tells her that if she married him, then he's her problem. Oh, that's special. Um, yeah. Also and accurate. <laughs> I, yeah, I did that. I did that for a reason because for a long time, um, spousal rape wasn't considered rape. For a long time, um, abuse was considered a family matter. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to show that. And it's basically what it came down to with this cop was just lazy police work. He didn't want to be bothered. Um, right. And he like kind of makes a joke about it to Frank later. Um and Frank's kind of like, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's continually a problem um, throughout the story. And I did that on purpose, too, because for some reason, bad cops don't get fired. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully that's going to change soon. But, um, yeah, that was something that, that I did kind of on accident. Um, I did not include anything about race, even though I have... Um, lots of different colored characters um, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I was focusing on, on the serial killer part um, and the abuse. I I didn't really go into anything else besides that. So. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've talked about how much research you, (laughs) you do to, to keep up, um, keep, keep yourself up at night. Um, But you also do a podcast. Is that right? Um, I'm hopefully going to be doing a podcast um, very soon. I'm looking for kind of the right people to be involved with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, I will be going over the true crimes that inspire my work because each one is inspired by a true crime. Um, mm-hmm. In this case, it was Sarah Passan's story. Um, in the next one, it was a case where a woman's child was abducted from her bed in the middle of the night. And um, the woman became a social worker and worked specifically with sex offenders in the hopes of finding the person who took her child. Um, And I found that just fascinating because, um, you know, that it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, Mm -hmm. And I added, I've added quite a few other um, crime elements and obviously this is a romance, so it has a happy ending. But um, well, as, happy as, can, as happy an ending as you can have, um, 
and I'm actually curious to see how it comes out. I'm in the process of planning and writing that right now. So, um, but yeah, I have all of these kind of true crimes that inspired um, the different stories. Even the the family annihilator case was based on a true story. So, um, and I'm a crime junkie. I love the podcast Crime Junkie. <laughs> um, so I I wanted to kind of. Um, bring in readers that way because I think the, the true crime fan is, are the people who are going to appreciate what I'm doing um, mm-hmm. more than people who just like crime stories because I go above and beyond in accuracy so I have some things that are going to make people uncomfortable right. um, but in a true crime fan I think we'll find them more fascinating still disturbing but in a, in a different way right yeah I think it, it's really neat. We hear a lot about, um, I guess, I guess sort of revenge story would, would be the right category um, from the point of view of a male character, but it's so neat to hear about it from a woman's perspective where she's changing her entire career to either catch the guy or, or find her child. And that's just a very different way to go about it, but it's also probably just as effective as, you know, like becoming a vigilante in some ways, maybe, maybe more effective. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Um, She does get a little vigilante on um, towards the end, but but yeah. um, And I, I'm curious to see how this turns out because um, the beginning of the story is very different in the beginning. She's trying to move on. It's 10 mm-hmm. years after her daughter's been abducted and she's trying to kind of find her life again. And right. um, and then a woman shows up on her doorstep claiming to be her daughter. And while she knows as a mother that this is not her child, she's getting these details that indicate that this person knew her daughter. Okay. So she needs to hunt down the truth um, while dealing with someone who went through the trauma of being a tra- human trafficked as a sex slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and navigating a new romance, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no time like the present to, to get on uh, a new dating app. Well, I guess it's, is this one also set in the nineties? No, this one is, uh, set, I think in 2010. Okay. Um, I'd have to look at my notes to be sure, but because Frank, uh, was an agent on the case of her daughter's abduction and it occurred oh. prior to 1997 when what's in a name takes place. Um, so I think it ends up in, Oh no, if it takes place prior then it has to be, it took, it takes place in 2006. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's still a little bit old. I'm slowly getting to present. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun though. So you also write in the, paranormal urban fantasy genre under a different name um and that's that's sort of where you got your start was it hard to kind of switch gears and what transferred over between the two genres for for your specific style um so my paranormal and urban fantasy has a lot of romance and uh, thriller aspects Mm -hmm. so a lot of that kind of just transferred nicely but actually the hardest part was the romance in these more realistic uh dangerous and you know just anxiety inducing situations Mm -hmm. um 
that was actually, I was really happy. I got a review that said that the romance was really believable. And I was like, thank goodness. Cause I, <laughs> I was really worried about it. Um, because I, I didn't want it to be where it's like, Oh danger. He saved me heaving bosoms, you know? Right. Um, right. I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted it to be realistic. I wanted it to make sense for her to turn to Frank in her times of need, even though they just met because mm-hmm. The way that I've gotten through that in the past, and I have a, a short story coming out in um, an anthology with Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon, um, where I was having a hard time because this is I have to do this in seven thousand words now. They have to fall in love in seven thousand words, oh, um, and I was really, really fighting it. Um, and it was actually when I was messaging my writing group um, as I was typing out the question, I was like, "Oh, duh, they've known each other since high school." Mm-hmm. Boom. Now it makes sense. <laughs> but yeah. I can't do that every time or it gets boring. Right. Um, plus there's the whole like new romance thing that's kind of fun. And that's a whole different kind of romance versus mm-hmm. the, you know, past lovers or past interest or friends to any uh, enemies to lovers, not friends to enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that happens too. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> usually in a romantic way, but um, <laughs> uh, I hope. Well, right. not that I'm going to write about for my for my romance fans. Um, that's more mm-hmm. of a, a, a different kind of thriller. Um, right. So yeah, that was that was difficult um, and probably the most difficult. Whereas when you have you know a woman dating a vampire and there's a vampire attacking her, what's she going to do? Go to the cops, right? You know, that's it, true. which actually added to um, why I made uh, the cop who's kind of a dick. The, the reason I made him that way was because she didn't know if she was going to get a decent cop going to the police or if she was going to get a piece of shit cop going to the police. Right. Um, so that kind of added to her. She knows Frank well enough to know that he's not a dick and he understands um, abuse once he comes clean about his past. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that added to that and made it a little easier. Um, but that was definitely a struggle. The, probably mm-hmm. the biggest struggle. Yeah, I I mean, I write multiple genres, but they're still within a very set sphere. And the few times that I've kind of dabbled in genres very far outside of those, <laughs> it's like, well, where are the monsters, though? Can, yeah. can I put monsters in? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I need someone to randomly attack them. And I need, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. where's the explosion? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Got to keep it interesting. How about a ghost? Can we throw a ghost in here? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, so many readers and I mean, who, who don't read romance, I think, um, you know, they, they kind of feel like romantic genres are kind of dumbed down or simplistic in some ways. And having tried to write both, oh my God, I, <laughs> I commend people who can write romance. So, I mean, I don't know if it's easily, but so well, um, because it's just, it's something that I find very challenging. Yeah, it was, this one was hard one, but I learned so much. I'm curious to see, cause I'm, I'm figuring out the issues before I start writing this one, um, mm-hmm. even more so than I did with the last one. So I'm hopeful that it is becoming easier, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I can see how, um, romance writers can fall into the trap of writing basically the same characters and the same story over and over again, mm-hmm. um, just giving them a new setting and a new in a new name. 
which I am striving not to do. I'm, I've gone as far as to assign like personality types and cool. um, dig into that and understanding personalities more just so that I can avoid that because I found actually while I was writing What's in a Name that in a lot of ways Frank kept turning into my lead character from my um, from my urban fantasy serial. So, really? Yeah, so I had to really go back and make sure that he was Frank and not Zurich. So, I was going to say, knowing both these characters, I, I find that like, kind of a funny hybrid. <laughs> it was hard. It was really hard because, like, you know, in certain situations, when I was doing my read through and, like, I had Frank's voice down by this point because I've read it a million times and I've written all of this. And I was going back through, there were a couple conversations that I had to completely change because I'm like, this is Zurich. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong character. Um, but. Yeah, that was a, a real struggle. I had a lot easier time with Rachel making her who she is instead of previous female characters. Um, I think because of the added abuse and the attention to how that would make her different as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have that with Frank because the other character's past is also rough. So, mm -hmm. yeah. well, so on the previous podcast on the show that aired last week um we were talking about personality types and working them into our writing um it, are you using like a specific um type of like personality tracker is that the right word <laughs> um yeah i'm not sure what they're called but i'm using um myers-briggs on 16personalities.com because okay. they break it down once you, so how I did this was um, I decided Demi was going to be, this is the character for the new book. Um, mm -hmm. I decided she was going to be kind of like me because um, that just makes it a little bit easier to write her. So I went through and took the test and just on certain aspects, I changed things. So she's introverted um, and judging those two were the same and then the two middle ones were different um but um what they do is after you take the test you get the results and you can click through and click the relationships like who's a good match who wouldn't be a good match um <clears throat> sorry um and then they also have like occupation which i thought okay. was really funny because i didn't know they did occupation before i did this and it turned out that like being a social worker and, and or a nurse was like what she was made for. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was completely by accident. But, and then I used that to build um, her romantic partner. Oh, cool. To make sure that at the end, they have certain things that are opposing traits. Like he's an extrovert. Um, he's very into parties. He has lots of friends. She has very few like good friends. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, they, they have enough um, things that will cause issues, but in the end, they'll be able to work it out and kind of um, challenge each other and bring out the best in each other. Mm -hmm. So that was really fun to do it that way rather than making these two people up and then trying to force them together. Right. Um, because I found that Rachel and Frank <laughs> kind of, Frank was very into it and Rachel was like, nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to really kind of work you know frank had to work for it um which, which i think fine. that's good yeah because it it makes sense with who they are as people um 
and, and as characters, that she would be a little bit more hesitant. Yeah, and, and he, having him work for it, I find that more exciting when I'm reading. I want it to be kind of this like, oh, I don't know, are they going to get together? It's a romance, so I know they are, but I want to have doubts. Um, right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, what's he going to do to make this better? Like, um, or what's she, what's she going to go through to make her look at the situation differently? Um, mm-hmm. And I love that dynamic and that kind of suspense in the romance rather than suspense in the, are they going to make it out alive, which was also there. Right. Um, but, you know, um, and that's going to be different in this book. This one's going to be more of a, the relationship first and then, um, you know, the woman shows up claiming to be her daughter and they have to work through that and um, kind of find a new dynamic, mm-hmm. um, which I think is going to be fun to explore. That's cool. I like I like it when there's there's high stakes. So <laughs> yeah, there has to be high stakes. We we talked a little bit about your kind of wild uh, publishing schedule this this year, but what's next for you and for this series? So I have the Reader Magnet, which I'm kind of excited about. Um, one of my favorite things is the Antihero, mm-hmm. which is the Vigilante that we were talking about earlier, um, and I love the idea of, um, you know, just kind of the freedom to get justice yourself. But I love mm-hmm. also the idea that people who are in this are out for revenge, not justice, and what they have to go through to realize that revenge isn't going to help them. Right. Um, and so I'm kind of exploring that with the reader magnet, which... Um, anybody who's on my email list will get, and that's the only way you're going to get it. Um, but so I have Paige Quill is her name and she's a reporter. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I like puns. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and, uh, and then she's, so she's a reporter and she's investigating crime and this is done in three installments. So the first one is her point of view. The second one is the vigilante's point of view. And then the third one is their love story. That's cool. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited about it. I finally, I've been working out the kinks. It's been, this one's been a struggle because I, I do this thing called blueprinting, which typically makes it so that I can write significantly faster. Um, but when I sat down to write this one post blueprint, it wasn't working. Mm. Um, because I don't know if I, I don't know what I did wrong. Um, I think I probably was just too cocky about my blueprint, but, um, (laughs) so I had to work that out. So I have it like 70% done, but, um, I had to kind of reconfigure things and now I have to, so hopefully that will be out, um, by September. I'm hoping for August, but I'm going to say September, um, (laughs) (laughs) because life and I have to write, um, the next book in the series is called in the dead of the night. And that's the one with Demi and the male character's name keeps changing. It's currently Cash. He's a rock star, so I'm kind of leaning towards Cash. Um, that's like, <laughs> that is kind of a rock star name. So. <laughs> yeah, I want it to be a rock star name. So um, I'm leaning in that direction. But anyway, um, no guarantees that that will be his name. Um, it's also but, a good excuse because like, so many romance characters, I feel like, have these bizarre name sometimes <laughs> I know and I did Rachel and Frank for the first one which are so mundane and now I have Cash and Demi <laughs> mm-hmm. which Demi is actually for the the goddess um 
who her her daughter ends up her daughter's Persephone ends up having to marry Hades so she oh, yeah. gets like essentially kidnapped and it's like a whole thing um that's cool so yeah that's that's why I did that um so the daughter's name is Ivy which is also <laughs> um but anyway um I had a lot of fun with that and and I have to write that one this month mm-hmm. so July is kind of busy um especially because my blueprint for that one is not done because I was struggling with their personalities, which now I have sorted. So yeah, I should be able to write that one this month and then uh, hopefully release it in the beginning of October or November. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm hoping um, that everything works out and I can keep this up. I am uh, like physically writing that much is painful. Um mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking into dictation and how to get that started, but that's going to be a learning process, which will slow me down. So we'll see. My, my one foray into dictation was an aborted attempt. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I commend you, but I also am, oof, I could not do that. I mean, I, I could if I had to, um, but oof, challenge. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that I can do it before I have to, because like, one of the things that scares me is my grip going because I'm planning to live on a sailboat mm-hmm. um, and gripping lines is very important on a sailboat. So um, that's something that I have in the back of my mind all the time, um, which and the, the amount of pain that I was in this spring was tremendous. Mm-hmm. So um, in an effort to not have that happen and it's not carpal tunnel, I think it's RSI. Um, because I looked up carpal tunnel and it's not the right symptoms. Mm -hmm. Uh, thank God. (laughs) Right. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I have to be careful as I write this, this month and in future books, I have to be careful, which is why I'm looking into dictation. Cause even if I just dictate the first, um, the first draft and then go through and kind of typo anything else that needs to be done, that will reduce the amount of typing I'm doing. So. Yeah. The, the initial word dump is especially because when you, at least for, for me and my process, like that's when I really hit the flow um, of, of a lot of scenes, at least the exciting ones. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get that like mad typing frenzy thing going on. And yeah, that's not, not always ideal for wrists. Yeah. Which is beneficial. Like the way that I do the writing, I do the five minute thing and alarm goes off every five minutes, but Um, even doing that, like, I don't always remember to stop every 15 to 30 minutes to stretch out my tendons and, and things. Um, so that's, you know, I just, well, I probably just need to be more disciplined about that, but Mm -hmm. you don't, you also don't want to get out of the flow when you're in the flow. Right. (laughs) That's like the worst thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The worst thing that could possibly happen to me. Where can readers find you and What's in a Name and the rest of your books that are coming out? So What's in a Name is available in paperback um, on Amazon for now. It will be in other places and available for order in bookstores soon. Um, Ingram just has like the whole backlog thing going on. So I think that's why it's taking longer. Yeah, Um, it's it's like a six-week wait period, I think, last time I checked. Yeah. So... um, once that gets resolved, um, it'll be available more places and it's available in ebook everywhere, including your library. Just tell your librarian, um, to order it for you. Um, and you can find me at AngelaBreen.club where you can sign up 
for my email list and get two or three, I'm sorry, I don't remember how many I chose, chapters of what's in a name. It's not the beginning, so it's not the piece that you get if you go do the look inside feature on Amazon. So you can do both and really see if this is gonna be a book for you. Um, mm -hmm. You get those and once the reader magnet is done, you will get those and you'll get them as they're finished. I'm not gonna make you wait until all three are done, although you might want to. Um, <laughs> But that's that's the reader magnet is high on the priority list, so hopefully very soon that'll be ready. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for talking about crime and <laughs> all of the uh, intricacies of writing it. Yes, thank you for having me and having such good questions. <laughs> I try. It's it's easy when the the topic is really interesting. Anyway, so this has been the Amphibian Press podcast. I'm V.S. Holmes. With me today was Angela Breen. Thank you so much for listening.